The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH on Andy, your host. Today is Thursday, so I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend, Dr. Peter Hammond. I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Great to have you on board as always, Peter. And today, folks, Peter has a um, presentation for us entitled The Real Story Behind How Treason Prospers. Where would you like to start us off today, Peter? Andrew, you know, I remember back in the 1970s, there was a book that came out, uh, None Day Call It Treason. And uh, the uh, I actually got to hear the author uh, at a city hall meeting uh, in, in Cape Town, South Africa, which was interesting. And uh, uh, even though I was just a teenager, fresh out of Rhodesia, and wondering how it was that treason had been prospering in Rhodesia, and here the author of uh, uh, None They Call It Treason was explained that None They Call It Treason because if treason prospers, then uh, the the traitors are in power and you will be in trouble for calling treason treason. And uh, the whole uh, uh, ethos behind it explaining how much treason has advanced in the West. And at that time, uh, it, it was put before me, and, and I've seen it many a time since, about how the U.S. State Department and the British Foreign Office have this track record of treachery and betrayal, and not just Yalta Agreement, uh, not just betraying the people of Eastern Europe, not just uh, betraying uh, the Russians and the Ukrainians, uh, including the civilians who were in Western Europe at the end of the Second World War under Operation Keelhaul over to the West, uh, but how they've been betraying every ally uh, whether you're talking about the Shah of Iran into the hands of the Ayatollah Khomeini's crowd, betraying nationalist China, uh, uh, who was running the whole of China into the hands of the communists of Mao Zedong, uh, the, the betrayal of so many different groups. And uh, just in the time of Jimmy Carter, which immediately preceded this uh, presentation that I heard uh, in this town hall on Monday, Call It Treason, uh, how Jimmy Carter had uh, worked to betray the people of Nicaragua into the hands of the uh, Sandinista communists and Rhodesia into the hands of the, the Marxists, the red Chinese supported uh, ZANU PF terrorists and, and uh, Chavarons into the Ayatollah Khomeini's crazy hands and so many others. And the, the comment was made, 
if you make a mistake, well, you know, we're all human. We can all make a mistake. If you make the same mistake twice, you're stupid. If you make the same mistake three, five, 10, 15 times, you've got another agenda. Nobody's that stupid. You can't possibly keep betraying your allies and supporting your enemies time after time and put it down to a mistake or even stupidity. And so uh, even then in the late 1970s, we'd reached a stage where you could not say that Western governments, talking about particularly the British Foreign Office and the US State Department, uh, because that concerns us a lot, but, uh, but we can see this through many other Western institutions, treachery, a trail of treachery, a pattern of treason, of betraying your allies and of uh, appeasing your enemies. Uh, and then I started working amongst the UNITA freedom fighters in Angola. Now we're talking about Jonas Savimbi, who's leader of UNITA. They were fighting against the communists, against the MPLA, against the Cubans and the Soviets. And uh, Jonas Savimbi, who, by the way, was uh, a great fan of, of the United States of America, uh, Jonas Savimbi, um, who had me for breakfast uh, in his capital of Jumbo in, in free Angola, he said, do you know why there hasn't been a revolution in America in 200 years? And my friends and I said dutifully no, and he said, there's no U.S. embassy in America. And, of course, that was hilarious for many people around here because the U.S. embassy is often a hotbed of subversion in a country where there is a, a, a takeover. And we recently saw this during the Arab Spring, how the US embassy was uh, very much fomenting so much of the treachery that was going on, uh, leading to the social chaos in Egypt and in Libya and in Syria and, and all, all the chaos that was going on that American representatives were doing it. In fact, Ambassador Stevens, the same Ambassador Stevens who got murdered in Benghazi uh, by those uh, jihadists in uh, 2013, uh, you will recall uh, that those same jihadists uh, had been financed by the United States of America. In fact, Ambassador Stevens, before he was ambassador, was the bag man. He took the first $500 million to start uh, up ISIS. And uh, this isn't a conspiracy theory because even Vice President Biden admitted it before the Center Oversight Committee and uh, so did the U.S. Uh, Chief of Staff. Uh, admit that, yes, it's true, American military and CIA did start ISIS uh, in order to overthrow the Syrian government uh, for whatever purpose, and that it kind of got out of control. And so it's not a matter of speculation. Uh, it's it's uh, a known, proven, admitted fact that uh, the US government actually helped to get ISIS up and running. So uh, interesting when you see this time and again. So back to Jonas Vimby. Jonas Vimby is saying in, in Jumbo uh, that uh, it's better to be America's enemy than America's friend, because if you're America's friend, you will certainly be sold. If you're America's enemy, you will probably be bought. But if you're their friend, you'll certainly be sold. And he said that with sadness. He wasn't anti-American at all. He was pro-American. He would quote from founding fathers of America, Thomas Jefferson and uh, uh, John Adams. He'd be quoting from George Washington and so on. He uh, liked a lot of American ideals, but he recognized the reality that the State Department he was dealing with was treacherous. And uh, certainly we, we know that that's true. And Jonas Vimby ended up being murdered. Uh, and uh, it was an assassination that was planned uh, with Western connivance. We referring to the oil companies that were involved uh, in financing the Cubans in 
uh, Angola and Jonas Vimbi uh, was seen as, as a problem. And so he was taken out when the satellite identified where his satellite phone was and they, they tracked him down and ambushed him. But uh, interesting points. Better to be America's enemy than America's friend. If you're America's enemy, you will probably be bought. But if you're America's friend, you'll certainly be sold. And this is not just a theory. This is a pattern. And there are so many books that document this on Allies Betrayed, the whole series, uh, speaking about the betrayal of Chiang Kai-shek's nationalist China and uh, the betrayal of, of Nicaragua, uh, the betrayal of the Shah of Iran, uh, the betrayal of Rhodesia, and, and so many other Western allies. Why would so many allies be betrayed? Uh, why would it be uh, that we've got this pattern of treachery, this trail of treachery? And so... When we start seeing things going really wrong in our own countries, it's it's not only inevitable that what you sow is what you reap and there's consequences for everything, uh, but we've got to recognize that the same people who've been betraying our friends overseas obviously are not above betraying us here in our own countries. And uh, certainly I've experienced that. I've, I've experienced uh, a treachery and betrayal that betrayed Rhodesia, as Ian Smith said, we were never beaten by enemies. We were betrayed by our friends. And that was true for Rhodesia, and it's, it's true for South Africa as well, and for Southwest Africa. Uh, in each of these cases, we were never beaten by enemies. We were betrayed by our friends. We won the battles uh, in the battlefield, but we were stabbed in the back by our own allies, by our own side. So now, when people look at what's going wrong in our in our societies, we've got to say, well, why is treason prospering? Why is it that fake candidates and fake elections and fake news and fake history and all these fake people and parties are able to prosper? There's obviously brainwashing. There's obviously indoctrination. There's guilt manipulation. There's the role of education, which is now more like indoctrination. Uh, there's the role of the entertainment industry, which is definitely uh, sowing seditious ideas and undermining and there's there's gaslighting there's stockholm syndrome there's guilt manipulation there's rewriting of history many of these things are, are are true and and valid and real but i would say one of the primary reasons why treason prospers and the reason why treason can prosper is cowardice there are so many cowards in western civilization who've been happy to live with the benefits of Western civilization, with the benefits of what Christian civilization has built up uh, over centuries. And you think of the cathedrals and the magnificent buildings and everything from parliament and Congress and uh, the great magnificent ornaments around us and uh, phenomenal economies and, uh, and a spectacular industrial might, the the wealth, the agricultural potential, uh, everything from the bridges and the roads and railways and, and, and tremendous benefits that previous generations sacrificed and toiled and built up for us. And yet, of course, it's so much easier to destroy than to build and it's so much easier to betray than to defend. And treachery is easier than courage and uh, conviction to stand for what is right. So when we look at the cathedrals, we should remember there's generations who worked. In fact, it took about three generations to build a cathedral. What the grandfathers began, the grandsons would complete. It was uh, about a century-long project to build the average cathedral. These were phenomenal works of, of magnificent architecture, the greatest architectural achievements of, of mankind uh, on earth. And these 
cathedrals stand as a testimony against us. The stones crowd and and warn us. Why are we in such a prefab, disposable culture mentality when we've been given such magnificent civilization, just embodied by, for example, the cathedrals and other great castles and architectural masterpieces and the entire structure and edifice of Western Christian civilization that's been built up over not just generations and centuries, but over a millennium and just abandoned into the hands of anti-Christian, atheist, Marxist, pagans, people who loathe everything we stand for and who would like to destroy it. And so we've seen the globalists have used wars and economic depressions and recessions and have used population control to undermine Western civilization to bring about the new world order. And they've utilized Islamic invasion, the Trojan horse of mass migration into Europe with escalating riots and terrorism. And all of this represents an advanced stage in an anti-Christian agenda, a population replacement, basically. So through aggressive population control tactics, promoting birth control and abortion and sterilizations and massive propaganda of overpopulation, the globalists have dramatically brought down the population of Europeans and Americans and then by betraying stable governments in Africa, Asia and South America, and bringing about economic collapse, a vast movement of refugee populations have been stimulated into Europe and North America and South Africa. And by dramatically decreasing the populations of those countries traditionally Christian, and by exploding the populations of those who are pagan and anti-Christian, the goal is a dramatic change in demographics, demographic engineering, to bring about death of Christian civilization. And this has required the sharp decline of the birth rate of Europeans and a massive influx of Muslim immigrants, for example, to Europe, all hope to bring about a transformation of Europe into Arabia. And the goal in all of this is a world population more amenable to manipulation and control by globalists, because what they don't need is give me liberty or give me death. My conscience is kept at the word of God. Protestant reformers who think and who uh, have this uh, attitude of uh, uh, my conscience is kept at the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. And unless I'm convinced by scripture, by clear reason that I'm in error for popes and councils have often erred and contradict themselves. I will not recant. I cannot recant. It is unsafe and unholy to to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand. And so that kind of of spirit of defiance and resistance as epitified by Professor Martin Luther, this just explains why the New World Order is determined to bring down the European and Protestant population of what I think are called WASPs, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. So uh, it was many years ago that I first was accused of being a WASP. And I was at a major conference and I was a guest speaker. And uh, after I'd given the presentation, somebody stood up and and uh, accused me of being a wasp. And I had no idea what wasp meant, so he spelled it out to me. White, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. And then he added male, which was obviously another perjurative uh, negative comment. So I, at the time, said, you know, the fact that I'm white and Anglo-Saxon is entirely due to God, our creator, and I think none of us should have a problem with the way God's made any of us. The fact that I'm a Protestant, I used to think I'd chosen to be a Protestant, but since I've been studying the Bible more, I've come to understand that actually it's God who chose me. So I think you're going to have to take up all these, including the fact that I'm male, with God. He's the creator. He's the one who's determined this. Your argument's not with me. Your argument's with the creator. And evidently it is, because there's a tremendous hatred for God, 
and how God has made the world. And there is uh, underlying a lot of this uh, a sense of these leftists accusing God of not being fair or not being egalitarian or not being communist or socialist enough or not adhering to whatever is politically correct. And so to distract and to neutralize the Christian church, false doctrines have been vigorously promoted. Heresies have been promoted and pacifism has been promoted. Uh, very important to have taken away the old Viking Saxon warrior spirit of the Europeans who were willing to stand and to fight uh, the crusader spirit, uh, which once took down the Saracens and recaptured Jerusalem. Those, uh, that, uh, that spirit of resistance has been suppressed by pacifism being promoted and a rapture fever obsession with end times and prophecies, which often distracts many Christians thinking, well, there's not enough time to fight these things. We're in the last days. So nothing we can do can make any difference. And an attitude of escape or defeat and retreat or escapism, uh, this has neutralized many. And then you get antinomianism, this hostility to God's law. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts a soul. But instead, you've got this hatred for God's law. And you would swear that there's something wrong with God's law, even though it's the perfect law of liberty. And what's the best way to have a stable, peaceful society? Well, respect your neighbor. Do to others you want to be done unto. Don't steal your neighbor's life. Don't steal your neighbor's wife. Don't steal your neighbor's property. Don't steal his good name through slander. Don't be jealous and envious of your neighbor. I mean, just follow the, the, the Ten Commandments and you've got the foundation for good, stable society. And yet there's hostility to God's law. While there is absolute love for man's law, the thousands and tens of thousands of oppressive laws that man brings in, just look at the lockdown as an example. So you've got a hostility to God's law, even while trying to bring in vast amounts of man's law. And most Christians have barely noticed that secular humanists have hijacked our schools. And, and many continue to send their children to what are effectively anti-Christian brainwashing institutions or indoctrination gulags. A lot of our theological seminaries have become infiltrated by theologians who no longer love God or believe the Bible, but they are, in fact, continually working like a cancer through what used to be a healthy body, changing and redefining even the very essence of the gospel itself. So that the church has been hijacked from within. Uh, education has been hijacked and turned into indoctrination. The entertainment industry now is more like indoctrination and uh, brainwashing than, than real entertainment. And history testifies how God has blessed and used the Christian nations, the Western nations, to bless all the families of the nations of the earth. And the Protestant nations of Western Europe have had a great heritage. And despite violent opposition, Protestants emerged from the fires of persecution to change lives, to make history, to transform nations, and faithful believers contended for the faith. And and they preserved and translated God's word into local languages and reformed the church and exported the gospel to every nation on earth and vigorously proclaimed the word of God to all nations. And, and Christian civilization achieved the highest levels of productivity and innovation and scientific discoveries, medical advances and missionary outreaches, works of mercy and, and successfully campaigned to end the slave trade and to set the captives free, laying foundations for justice through the rule of law and the legacy of faith and freedom through Christian Europe is unparalleled in all the history of the world. And the 19th century was the greatest century of missions. It was a century of astounding inventions, spectacular advances in technology, 
and many countries experienced dramatic spiritual revivals. And Christian missionaries won whole tribes and nations to Christ in the remotest regions of the globe, even amongst the cannibals of the Pacific, were singing Jesus shall reign and, and submitting themselves to Christ. So Christianity came to the 20th century on the rising, unstoppable tide of advancing Christianity. And Christianity was gaining such spectacular momentum as missionaries from Europe were evangelizing and discipling virtually every tribe and nation. And by 1910, at the time of the world's first missions conference in Edinburgh, delegates were anticipating the completion of the Great Commission within their generation. And they were predicting that by 1960, which happens to be the year I was born, but they were predicting that in 50 years from 1910 and 1960, Christianity will be predominant worldwide, all false religions will be extinct, and you will have every nation uh, being discipled in biblical Christianity. And they were not being unrealistic, because looking at the spectacular advance of the 19th century, that, that was feasible. Do you know, in 1910, Europeans were 34% of the world's population. And right now, Europeans are about 8% of the world's population. So isn't it extraordinary how uh, what was once the most dominant race on earth has now become uh, one of the smallest minorities and most threatened uh, in, in the world. And in fact, that's also true in South Africa. Uh, I'm a minority in my own country now. Um, a white South African is now only about 8% of the population of South Africa. Most of the people living in South Africa today weren't born in South Africa. They've, they've poured in since. But because their skin is darker, it's assumed that they're indigenous, whereas those of us who've lived here for 10 generations uh, for over 350 years, uh, we assume to be expatriates or, or foreigners. Uh, uh, and just like the Carthaginians, the white Africans of North Africa uh, were uh, made extinct, there's an attempt to now wipe out the white Africans of Southern Africa as well, like we don't belong in this continent. But this is just, we just guinea pigs or canaries in the coal mine uh, for what's being done in Europe and America, where you can see there's this great replacement. So what what we saw was the greatest century of missions derailed into the worst century of persecution. The 20th centuries turned out to be the worst century in the history of mankind from the perspective of the church. More Christians were killed for their faith, martyred, in the 20th century than in all previous 19th centuries combined. And as Alexander Solzhenitsyn documented, that 66 million Christians were killed in Russia under Lenin and Stalin. And, of course, you can add another 69 million people killed under Mao Zedong's communism in China. And the, the, the wars and destruction, uh, this is what the 20th century got derailed from a very promising beginning in 1914, when the great European countries, the heartland of Christendom, the source of most of the missionaries worldwide, devastated one another's economies, annihilated millions of one another's young people in what has to be recognized as the most senseless, tragic, unnecessary conflict in history. And the sinister bankers or banksters who pulled the strings behind the scenes, who engineered the genocide of Europe, were also the ones who owned many of the companies that made the machine guns and bombs and bullets and shells and artillery that destroyed the cream of Europe. And there's numerous studies that have documented the role of the Freemason bankers and the politicians like Lord Nathan Rothschild, and you've documented in Synagogue of Satan the role played in bringing down Christian civilization. Nothing could have stopped the positive onward march of Christianity worldwide, except that Christians were persuaded to kill one another so enthusiastically and so efficiently as in the First World War. 
And even more devastating than the actual numbers of people killed or crippled or severely injured was the damage to the spiritual life of Europe. The secularization of Europe and the breakdown of the moral standards coincide with the great resurgence of revolutionary fervor and Marxist communism, which filled the vacuum left by the collapse of the great Russian, German, and Austrian empires. And as the 19th century progressed, as the 20th century progressed, I should say, we have seen Marxist revolutionaries and atheists and evolutionists infiltrating most of the universities of Europe and North America and South Africa, so that today God is not only banished from the curriculums, but Christianity's contributions to civilization are marginalized, ignored, or vilified. And even scientists advocating intelligent design are mercilessly hounded out of institutes of higher learning. And instead of education teaching people how to think critically, we now mostly have indoctrination teaching students what to think and definitely what not to think. And so reality is being rearranged. And anti-Christian secular humorists are now dominating the entertainment industry for almost a century, subverting families, undermining morality at every turn. And this is particularly insidious in the case of this is a true story or based on a true story or inspired by true events, which rewrite history, distort reality, vilify the victims, victimize the villains and rearrange uh, what uh, basically invert the reality totally. As Karl Marx said, the first battlefield is the rewriting of history. And this is why treason seems to prosper, because the enemy has worked very long and hard through the educational institutions, through the entertainment industry, through the news media, rewriting textbooks, rearranging reality, distorting people's perceptions, and they have succeeded in getting us to be confused, divided and conquered, and corrupted and conquered. I mean, corrupt and conquer and confused, divide and conquer are ways to enable treason to prosper. And so through selective focus and distortion of reality, the mass media has effectively brainwashed generations of what used to be Christian Europeans to vote for those who hate Christian values and to idolize those who are the intractable enemies of the faith. And this is more than national suicide. This is a continental suicide. It's na international suicide. Because what we are seeing is we are seeing nations governed by political parties determined to commit national suicide and sell their nation's sovereignty to internationalists, to globalists. And, and this is particularly insidious because these globalists have so much money that they are able to buy people who no longer think that serving their own country is worthwhile. And that's why the Roman leader Cicero said in 42 BC, a nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and he carries his banners openly. But the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely, his sly whispers rustling through all alleys, heard in the very halls of government itself. For the traitor appears not the traitor. He speaks in the accents familiar to his victims. He wears their face and their garments, and he appeals to the baseness that lies deep in the hearts of all men. He rots the soul of a nation, and he works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of the city. He infects the body politics so it can no longer resist. A murderer is less to be feared than a traitor. And so this is where we are. I believe we are seeing the New World Order working very hard at destroying those states that attempted to uphold Christian values, which included Rhodesia and South Africa. I was involved in seeing the betrayal and destruction of these great Christian civilizations in Africa. And 
We've seen the destruction of much of the middle class through financial crises, such as that triggered by banks selling worthless derivatives, which caused the 2008 economic collapse and cost tens of millions of people their jobs and their savings and their homes. And the 2008 economic collapse was the October surprise just before the 2008 elections, which bring Obama to power. And you can see the, the manipulation of, of that. And uh, interesting how we now have the COVID-19 lockdowns, which is costing more than tens of millions of people their jobs and their savings and their homes. And uh, we need to resist. And to do this, we need to know our enemy. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. We need to recognize the tactics. Another generation grew up and knew neither Lord nor what he had done. And it's absolutely vital that we understand the role of education, that we understand the role of indoctrination and brainwashing, and understand that it is cowardice that remains silent in the face of this kind of treachery and treason that is enabling them to advance. And 2 Chronicles 19 verse 2 says, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. It's so important that we love justice and righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to any people. We have allowed an insidious group of uh, polluters to defile our culture, to take away everything that is good and lovely and noble and respectable and to replace it with that which is base and vulgar and coarse and crude and anti-Christian. And this is why our societies are falling as they are. They're crumbling from within because they've been rotted from the inside. It is the corrupt and conquer, and it's a confused divide and conquer strategy of these globalists that has so rotted our society. As Jesus warned us, a synagogue of Satan. Uh, Satan has been a liar from the beginning and a murderer. And this is what I believe we are seeing right now. And if people are asking, how could this happen? How, well, how could it not happen when we have allowed for generations lies to be foisted as part of the entertainment industry, ugliness and vulgarity to be celebrated, and to see the truth of God trampled underfoot, not just sidelined, uh, but uh, even uh, in many cases outlawed in, in the schools and the public sphere. And we've tolerated such ongoing brainwashing, indoctrination, guilt manipulation of our children and our children's children. How could it be that treason would not reach this stage? There's been so much compromise, so much cowardice, and so much fleeing from the fight. You can have the best team. You can have the very best army. But if you're not on the field at the time of the match, you lose. And this is what's happened. In many cases, the enemy's been busy with the culture war, and most of the Christians have not even been recognizing there's a culture war going on at the same time. We need to learn to hate evil. We need to recognize uh, what is good and right and noble needs to be protected in our society, our civilization and history. And we need to uh, have a strong resentment and hostility towards anything uh, that is against God and against the best interests of our children and our nation and our faith. And this is why we need to rebuild our civilization on Christian principles. And the only way this can be done is to disconnect from the world's indoctrination media, to reconnect with God through the Bible, to get back to what really matters, our classic old books, and to be able to teach our children the foundations of our faith and our heritage and our civilization and our history. We, we need to 
refuse to allow them to defile our minds. And so saying no to the Hollywood entertainment indoctrination uh, medium or through the uh, what we could call the illiteracy cartel of the indoctrination gulags of the state schools, we need to recognize poison where we see it and say, no, under no circumstances am I going to want anything to do with this. Treason has prospered, not only because of brainwashing and indoctrination, but through cowardice and lack of action on behalf of God's people. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, um, I was just trying to look up um, when the last cathedral was built in the world, because this is a very interesting point, and it's something that uh, a lot of people are unaware of, you know. Uh, and it's not just the way that uh, cathedrals, you know, took uh, three generations, a hundred years to build, but it's also that um, back in the heyday of building cathedrals, this is when. Uh, Europeans only tended to have to work about three months or so of the year. Isn't that correct, to, to get enough money because they didn't have this taxation and banking system? Can you tell us anything about that? Yes, certainly. In fact, it was uh, Stephen Mitford Goodson who well illustrated this point in his uh, History of Central Banking and the Enslavement of Mankind. Uh, Stephen Mitford Goodson, who was once director of the Southern Reserve Bank, and he became a whistleblower, uh, and uh, he has well documented the fact that usury is at the root of most of the wars and certainly the 20th century's wars. He points out that back in the 13th and 14th centuries, there, which was the heyday of the building of the cathedrals, there was no usury because the uh, banksters who, who uh, charged usury had been banished and usury had been abolished. So people were in Europe working basically 140 days of the year, and about 220 holidays in a given year. And so uh, because of that opportunity, there was this outpouring of creativity because people had surplus time and money and wealth because they weren't spending most of their year paying interest on loans to uh, usurious banksters who were defrauding them, of course. And so the um, uh, cathedral stand as monuments to a time when people's taxation was so low something in the region of, of uh, 2% or less uh, 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 was spent in taxation uh, because the taxation wasn't compounding interest because it had been borrowed from some banks to charge iniquitous um, interest. And the Bible, of course, has many prohibitions against usury. Uh, also pointed out by Stephen Goodson is that the primary emphasis in Magna Carta is prohibitions against usury. And so the foundational document of British liberties, the Great Charter or Magna Carta, has as one of its main focuses to forbid usury, forbid the charging of interest by bankers. And uh, when that was adhered to, there was a surplus of wealth and time and creativity and the cathedral stand as monument to a time when we were freer and when uh, we did not tolerate usury in the society. And I would think that looking at the sad prefabs of today and comparing it to the cathedrals of yesteryear that's a pretty powerful case of the stones crying out wouldn't you say Andrew absolutely I think it's uh, it's just sickening to me that there are people out there historians that um, you know are far better educated than I was that, that know uh, about this but they choose not to talk about it because they don't want to jeopardize their career or their income 
And these are the sort of people that are, are, the, are the worst type of people in the world because they've got the knowledge and they choose not to uh, spread it to the, to the wider public for their own protection. And this is why we're in the real problem that we're in. It's all about me, 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 rather than going out there and saying, look, the truth is what's most important. God's word is actually what's most important. But a fundamental part of that is telling the truth. And there are so many people out there that do not tell the truth for their own benefit. And the people that do tell the truth, uh, like yourself and myself, we try our very best. And, uh, you know, we're, we get persecuted for doing so. And there's really no benefit in us doing it apart from our relationship with God. Because we don't make money out of it. You know, it, it, it's the sort of thing that we could do so much better if we just kept our mouths shut as well. And there are many other people in the alternative media who do uh, put their uh, own safety at risk and their own prosperity at risk to tell the truth. And sadly, there are also many who are either there to spread disinformation or use it as a means of grifting by, you know, spreading outlandish things that will get them clicks on websites and stuff like that or YouTubes and, uh, you know, raise some money that way. So I think that this is really what this um, uh, this topic that you've chosen and uh, so eloquently presented today is really about. It's about our choice over our own wealth, our own self-serving interests, or our belief in the truth and God. Would you agree, Peter? It is. It is so true, uh, and uh, it's. It's not just that uh, we um, we don't benefit from it. Uh, it. There's a tremendous cost in in being a truth teller. Uh, if you want to repeat the lies, if you want to repeat the mantras and the narrative of the world, you will get applause and you'll get probably some kind of funding and certainly open doors. If you want to tell the truth, well, you will be decried and you will be shouted. We'll have your, your motives impringed and uh, there'll be all kinds of abuse coming your way. And this is sad, but it's not just 21st century. This is something that uh, even our Lord points out in, in the scriptures and and uh, that the prophet's not um, without on except in his hometown. And uh, the fact that woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did they speak of the false prophets. And, and that uh, blessed are you when, when uh, men curse you and revile you, uh, because that's how they treated the prophets. And so our, our Lord points out that the, the broad way is, is a way of destruction. And, and uh, the narrow way is the narrow way to life. So, we cannot choose our path by what's popular, by what's easy, by the uh, width of the road and by the nice, gentle, decent and uh, how many people on it. We've got to choose the road, even if it's narrow, steep, lonely, hard, rocky, because if it's going to the destination we need, we need to take the difficult road if needed. And so to tell the truth in a a fake world and to stand for righteousness in a corrupt world, um, to stand for your nation at a time of treason, that takes real courage. It's, it's like the steel-headed trout uh, who swims upstream. And I've seen the steel-headed trout swimming upstream and jumping up the waterfalls and they fall back and they come back and they try again and again until they succeed. And to go downstream takes no effort at all. Even a dead fish can float downstream. But to to go against the flow, to go against the tide, against the herd. Well, that, that takes character and takes perseverance and it's, and it's hard. And um, as you said, it's often a very thankless task and sometimes it can bankrupt you. But uh, uh, it's got to be done. If we don't, uh, what price our conscience? 
What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what do you say over somebody who who's betrayed his country? And uh, uh, we, we've we've got some cases like that in our country. Uh, now you can take somebody like Ian Smith, who who fought to the end, who is an uh, honourable man. Um, he's welcome anywhere, religions everywhere, uh, loved, respected, honoured. Ian Smith, wherever he went, um, he'd be lifted on people's shoulders, shared. Um, because they knew he fought, he never gave up. Um, whereas somebody like um, F.W. de Klerk, who was the last white prime minister of South Africa, who uh, was meant to be a Christian, a uh, member of a reformed church, he betrayed a country in the hands of the communists. He's got trouble having people being civil to him because, yes, he might have gotten his Nobel Peace Prize and his millions of payback for having a hand over the country to Mandela and so on, but um, he's despised in um, in all social circles here in South Africa. And so uh, he, he can't um, walk down the streets without bodyguards and um, uh, he, he would be afraid of, of just what people would think of him. So uh, what is it what is it worth? If you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul, uh, how much can they pay you to sell out your own country? Is it really worth it? And for people to sell out their conscience, we don't have the influence and the power that maybe a head of state had, but just to sell out the truth for a bit of peace or a pat on the back, it's it's a reprehensible thing. And, and in the Bible, we read about uh, those who said nothing about Jesus for fear of the Jews. And so that's in John 12, that, that you've got people who, who believed in Jesus, but they're afraid to say so because they're afraid of the Jews, they're afraid of the Sanhedrin, they're afraid of the Pharisees, they're afraid of the people. And why should we be afraid of what man can do to us or what man says? We should be afraid of God and what he'll say on Day of Judgment. Back to you, Andrew. It's interesting, F.W. de Klerk, because if we go to his wife's Wikipedia page, um, this was ex-wife at the time, on 3rd of December 2001, de Klerk was murdered at her Dolphin Beach apartment in Bluebird, Cape Town. It was originally reported that the former First Lady had taken her own life. Her killer, 21-year-old Louis-Anne Bolissoir, worked as a security guard in the luxury secure complex where de Klerk was living. Bolissoir violently gripped de Klerk's neck, breaking several bones in her throat and causing a blood vessel to burst <coughs> in her eye. A steak knife was found embedded in her back and she also suffered wounds to the head. And Bolissoir was acquitted of a rape charge, but a pathologist was not able to rule out penetration. Her ex-husband had, at the time of the discovery of her body, been in Stockholm for a celebration on the centennial of the Nobel Peace prize so this is the guy that basically got rid of apartheid and his wife was ended up being killed by a black south african i find that very interesting peter it was very sad um, I, I met mrs de Klerk and some friends of mine were friends of hers and um uh, she was um, a person that you could respect and there was a lot of belief at the time that uh, because uh fw de Klerk, the former president had um uh, been committing adultery with another married woman uh, who he later married and that um, he was at that stage betraying his wife as, as was said he betrayed his country he betrayed his god he betrayed his church he betrayed his wife and uh, uh, there was talk that she was going to be exposing writing uh, her experience and of course she she knew a lot of things that could be quite embarrassing to uh, the powers that be 
and that her, uh, at the time it was reported that her murder was very uh, conveniently timed uh, and it would have caused a lot of relief to many people in high places uh, because she had been silenced. So extraordinary that um, such a violent attack uh, of throttling and and uh, uh, stabbing in the back could be described as a suicide initially. Uh, and yet it was. They tried to palm it off as a suicide initially. And um, uh, there was a lot of suspicion. And I know people, including people with a police and military background, who are absolutely convinced that this was an organized hit. Um, uh, even if there was somebody who took the fall, uh, the fact is that there were very highly placed people in the New World Order who uh, wanted her silenced because of what she knew. Uh, back to you, Andrew. Yes, and just looking at, um, going over to FW de Klerk's uh, page, she also had uh, three children with her. I saw that on her page. I just wanted to make sure that they were with her and not with the subsequent wife that you mentioned. Uh, they'll go to any lengths, folks. Um, and isn't it interesting how uh, it was originally uh, reported as a suicide, you know, and then that thing wasn't going to fly. Um, it reminds me of that Rothschild who supposedly, only in the... I think late last century, the 90s or something. I think he was Amschel or something. He was a youngster um, in Paris and he's uh, supposed to have hanged himself with his uh, the cord from his bathrobe from a four-foot radiator. Um, and that was all hushed up as well. And so, you know, you wonder if he was going to come out and, uh, you know, was going to spill the beans on what this family had been up to and he was promptly uh, silenced. Um, it, there's such a... It, it's the way that there's a certain smell about these things. You know, someone originally thinks, oh, we'll just palm this one off as a suicide with uh, Marie de Klerk. And you know, it's just become so obvious that immediately you're going to be sceptical. Why would you come out with something like that at the outset if you're not trying to cover it up? And we know that they kill these people. And, and at any level, it doesn't matter what level you're at, you're never going to be at the level that they're at. And even if you get to that level, like uh, you're the top Rothschild and suddenly you start to exhibit uh, behaviours that the others are you know, not going to be happy about, you look at the likes of someone like a Julius Caesar and you can be in charge, but the people around you are still pretty powerful. And if enough of them get together and they don't like you, then you're gone and someone else is put in. The, the important thing is to continue this plan that they've set out going all the way back and probably even beyond that, the formation of the Illuminati in 1776, the plan that they want, the fact that it's all satanic, and everything, if you look at it in that frame of mind, you can see exactly where the world is going. And it's a complete rejection of God. And what would be the opposite to what would be a complete rejection of god well that would be the embracing of the opposite which would of course be satan and that's why we're going over to uh to this uh, world that we're going into today um with that being said it is a difficult time for both peter and i with regard to content because um biden is going to be inaugurated uh today as we record this on wednesday it's going to be about five hours from me speaking to pete with peter at the moment um and so it's difficult for us to speculate we don't know if uh 
we're going to be seeing later in the day a load of trouble, what have you. I tend to think that it will go through fairly innocuously. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any trouble unless, of course, they want there to be, in which case they will orchestrate that and use that. The latest that I've heard that I'll throw in, because it's a bit difficult, you don't want to get news cut, which is why I want to do a, a you know, more of a topical show, well, as Peter always does a presentation. But one interesting thing that I've heard uh, from a couple of sources is that... Anyone who was at the Capitol rally, the Washington rally in the Capitol that, uh, you know, led to all that uh, trouble, the mainstream media ramped up and we know all the different things that there could well have been Antifa, all that stuff. That's not relevant at the moment. What's relevant is that the authorities are speaking to anyone that was there. And the reason that they're getting hold of anyone that was there is because their cell phones were picked up while they were there and so they're able to identify the people and they're literally going to go to everybody and so that is going to put the fear of god into any of these people uh from ever attending that sort of event again which is what it's designed to do and the other thing i thought myself early earlier this is just my own personal perspective is trump has rallies all over the place now why did he call for a rally in washington well I know what London's like, London, our capital city in, 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 in England, and there are more cameras per capita there than anywhere in the world. Well, I would imagine that there would be a lot of cameras in Washington, D.C. as well, being as it's, you know, the capital of the United States. So what better place to get a load of people that the, uh, or the real people in control, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, don't like, what better place to get them to assemble than a place where you're going to have the most cameras for facial recognition and all these other things so you can identify who your enemies are down to the last man and woman. Peter, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's, um, this is nightmarish beyond anything George Orwell could have predicted in his 1984 novel. And yes, we're living in a big brother surveillance society, which is extremely disturbing. There are not just hundreds, there are thousands of closed circuit TV cameras uh, all over a city like uh, Washington, D.C. or London. And uh, you can't travel in the underground or any of the uh, bus service and so on, without, or go, come near any kind of government building without uh, these facial recognition features. Um, and now they've got a lot more than that too. Uh, I've been getting extraordinary reports. Uh, here's one on 30,000 troops have been called into Washington, D.C. so far. That's more than 10 times the amount of U.S. troops in Afghanistan. And uh, we talk about not just normal troops. We're talking about the 56th Striker Brigade Combat Team, that's armoured vehicles, uh, the 102nd Cavalry Regiment, the 114th Infantry Regiment, the 508th Military Police Company, the, and it just carries on and on. Brigade Engineer Battalions, uh, Tactical Signals Brigades, There's, it's on and on. They've got the 177th Fighter Wing, uh, which is F-16 Air Defense, uh, against incoming airborne attacks, uh, the airlift wing, 105th airlift wing. There's there's the 174th attack wing, uh, the 166th security forces squadron for air assets. They've ordered more than two and a half million rounds of 5.56 ammo uh, for this uh, event. Uh, half a million of 50 cal rounds for the machine guns on the striker vehicles. Patriot missile batteries have been positioned, uh, which is only to deal with incoming missiles. What on earth is all this for? It's just extraordinary. Talk about overkill. Uh, but, 
but what are they planning to do? And and so, as you said, we can't rule out the possibility that some false flag um, incidents could be uh, uh, arranged in order to justify further crackdowns. Uh, it's as probably likely, as you said, that, that there's not going to be any incident. And uh, what incidents can there be when you've got a virtual inauguration? But I couldn't help but think the reason why uh, they are going for a virtual inauguration for Biden has got to be because it would be too embarrassing to see how few people would turn out in reality to a Biden inauguration compared to the colossal amount that turned out to the Trump inauguration in 2017, for example. So uh, I, I think it's it's kind of funny that they're talking about security concerns for the need for uh, what, let's face it, a virtual inauguration. So why do you need all that security anyway? But I'm sure the main reason why they're having a virtual inauguration is because Biden couldn't gather that many people for his uh, campaign at the best of times anyway. And so it would probably be an extremely embarrassing picture to compare how many turned out or didn't turn out for a Biden inauguration in mall in America versus how many turned out for Trump. So um, I, I think, again, what we're dealing with is perceptions and a propaganda war, and this is all part of Psy War. Uh, back to you, Andrew. Thank you very much, Peter. We're out of time, but before we go, can you please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you, please? Yes, certainly. My personal email is peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za, and our website is frontlinemissionsa.org. So it's frontlinemissionsa, SA short for South Africa, frontlinemissionsa.org, and uh, you'll find us on social media too, Frontline Fellowship or Peter Hammond. Be glad to hear from anyone if anyone wants uh, more evidence uh, on what we're talking about with hijacking of civilizations and the uh, psi war that we're facing. I think it's so important that we understand this and that we resist. We, we mustn't be intimidated. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. Wise words as usual. Uh, Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next Wednesday. You have been listening to the real story behind how treason prospers. Stay safe, folks. Thank you all for listening. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, have a wonderful day and bye for now. <laughs>